when I found you. I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that, Hey everybody, welcome back to the Luck It All podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com. Photo, video, digital media production. EliasRoushMedia.com. Link in the description below. Today, we are discussing Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi is a 2017 American epic space opera film written and directed by Ryan Johnson. It is the second installment of the Star Wars sequel trilogy following The Force Awakens 2015 and the eighth episode of the nine-part Skywalker saga. Produced by Lucasfilm and distributed by Walt Disney Motion Studios, uh, the film's ensemble cast includes Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia or General Leia, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, Daisy Ridley as Rey, John Boyega as Finn, and Oscar Isaac as Poe, Andy Serkis as Snoke. <clears throat> um, past having massive appeal behind the Star Wars franchise. I will say, you know, coming off the the wiki description, I will say The Last Jedi seems to have had one of the most divisive fan reactions since, I guess, the prequels, maybe? I wasn't, you know, uh, around... I was barely uh, in middle school, I guess, when... The prequels were being released and so I was quite a youngster and I can't exactly recall how bad the prequels were re uh, received but we know how they're received now so I'm coming at this movie from seeing all three of the sequel trilogies Skywalker uh, saga so what I'm talking about is The Force Awakens The Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker. This review will be divided in a non-spoiler section of just specifically focused on <clears throat> The Last Jedi. And then we're going to talk about a spoiler section for The Last Jedi. And then at the very end, we're going to talk about how The Last Jedi fits into the final piece of the Skywalker saga, including spoilers for the uh, Rise of Skywalker. And so I'll let everybody know before all that happens and all of that will be labeled in the timestamps below. So let's talk a little bit about the director, Ryan Johnson, just to kind of give some backstory about what's going on behind the scenes. So the original movie, uh, The Force Awakens, was directed and written by Lawrence Kasdan and J.J. Abrams. Um, this movie, the following movie, is strictly directed and written by Ryan Johnson. And you can really feel this movie focus on his vision. <clears throat> Ryan Johnson is responsible for bringing us movies 
recently, such as Knives Out, which is something I really liked. Um, I've already uh, reviewed it, and so I'll be dropping that review here soon. Um, Looper, that was an excellent uh, sci-fi thriller um, in 2012. We also know Ryan Johnson for one of the break, some of the most memorable Breaking Bad movie uh, shows. Sorry, not movies. He did a couple of the episodes on Breaking Bad, um, specifically the one most people remember, Fly, in season three, as well as um, episode four fifty one on Breaking Bad, and he also did Ozymandias, one of the final episodes in Breaking Bad. <clears throat> so, um, Ryan Johnson definitely has some very interesting appeal. As uh, Also, he's done the movie, uh, he directed the movie Brick, and that was also written by him, featuring jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt as well. He joins him in Looper's, uh, Looper, uh, in addition. So, Ryan Johnson is an interesting director. After watching Knives Out, I realize um, that not only he can direct something as small as uh well i guess i wouldn't call looper small but i would i would say looper is an interesting sci-fi from a big scope to a small scope and so they took him from looper all the way to something like the last jedi from something from the last jedi massive scope to that to something just small and concise murder mystery like knives out so clearly ryan johnson is able to go from different genres sci-fi murder mystery drama all all the above he's a great director you can't deny that no matter um what you feel about some of the opinions of some of his movies there is some real cinematic value in most of them um so let me uh discuss a little bit about the synopsis real quick okay so the synopsis for the last jedi is ray develops her newly discovered abilities with the guidance of luke skywalker who is unsettled by the strength of her powers meanwhile the resistance prepares for battle with the first order so i want to just tackle this as fairly down the middle as i can i want to be fair up front with my opinions of the movie when I first saw it and I'll you know I'll gladly tell you that and how the last Jedi has resonated and then going back on the rewatch so let me just you know kind of inform you how I felt about the last Jedi um first watching it first watching it in theaters I was like wow this is extremely bold this has some of the most amazing cinematography I've ever seen um most interesting locations that we see in this film are rarely shown anywhere else. I will say the story in this um, film is a little bit um, not exactly what I would have predicted coming off of The Force Awakens. Many people know The Force Awakens kind of had a slightly different ending versus what this opened with. And so... Starting off with, you know, what happens at the very beginning of this, Luke Skywalker taking the lightsaber and throwing, you know, taking the baton that J.J. Abrams was giving him and physically throwing it away and saying, I want to go with my own plan, definitely feels of this nature. Now, when Ryan Johnson came in and made this movie, I didn't feel that anything he was doing felt in negative correlation to The Force Awakens. I think that... 
um, many people had a reaction saying, you know, Ryan Johnson's taking us in a direction most people don't want to go. I don't necessarily see that. I, I definitely see that he's teetering in a way that is saying that he wants to really get rid of the old way of thinking about Jedis and Skywalkers and Siths and stuff like that. I mean, there's phys- there's lines in this movie that he says, throw it all away, burn the tree, get rid of this text. It doesn't matter. We're starting brand new. And something about that does sound slightly more appealing in some manner, you know what? But there's also parts of that that say you know what there's um a lot of mythology that we've kind of grown up with and it's hard just to say throw away the text throw away all the history you know it's not quite as easily you know said than done it you need to have a smooth transition out of that nostalgia so that you're not just saying fuck the, the nostalgia fuck the old stuff and that we just want the new stuff so um let me talk about a couple specific pros about this movie real quick. I noticed uh, that the diversity was definitely bumped up in the department on this movie. Specifically, the very beginning, I noticed I think there's like two or three Chinese actors on both the good and bad sides of the force or of the resistance and First Order that are Chinese actors. And clearly this movie wanted, uh, you know, a big segment they wanted a big foothold in um the chinese market and you know nothing wrong with that i'm I, i'm extremely excited about that considering the majority of uh, the 70s movies and the prequels were pretty not that great when it came to race relations and diversity um so i like that um another thing about this movie is like i said earlier earlier for my first impressions the cinematography was one of the first things i noticed when i first saw this movie and re-watching this movie and it still sticks with me i'll talk about some of the most uh uh catching uh frames in this movie that ryan johnson's able to to capture let me see who the, uh, the cinematographer is for this movie because i almost guarantee it's not the force awakens guy so this is the same cinematographer Ryan Johnson has used on his previous movies, such as Knives Out that just came out, uh, Looper, and Brick. And so this specifically makes me want to go back and check out some, some of his previous work involving this cinematographer. I think that Stephen Yedlin is the cinematographer um, or director of photography, whichever you call it, and... He brings an interesting cinematic style that I don't think any of the previous films have reached. I think maybe Rogue One was probably kind of in that uh, in that degree with the kind of cinematography that they're looking at. It's very bold colors, um, very interesting shapes and sizes and scale in different parts of the cinematography that just make this movie really pop. And uh, I can talk a little bit more in uh, spoiler section about the, the scale and how the cinematography is affected by it, but this movie really focuses on it, and I think it's a strength to the movie. Um, so like Snoke's Lair and uh, The Island are both really striking pieces of cinematography that they got to shoot with um mark hamill in this is acting up a storm i think he's phenomenal the thing is i know a lot of people 
will say that that's not exactly that that should not be Luke's character. I've heard arguments that, you know, he's he's past being kind of the grumpy old man. And regardless of how you feel about that, I think he plays it well. And it for me personally didn't feel, you know, that unnatural that he wouldn't want to go out and fight. I mean, he's been in some of the biggest uh, quote unquote Star Wars. So he doesn't want to be involved in war anymore. And given the way how Yoda is um, kind of introduced in the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, I believe. Don't take my word for it. I know I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a Star Wars historian, but I believe that Yoda is kind of wanting to be stagnant as well, you know, based on when he first. Um, meets Luke, I believe that's an empire, and then uh, does he pass away in uh, Return of the Jedi? Is that what happens? I, I believe that's what happens, but um, I know that's kind of supposed to be an, sort of an homage to that. Um, so, I just talking about that, you know, it does make thematic sense a lot but I will go in spoiler section about why maybe it does or doesn't work regarding in the story um, editing in sections of this movie are really sharp I think there's uh, some storytelling elements that really lend to the editing style um, I didn't notice nearly as many transitions and wipes and all of that um, so that's definitely something that makes this movie feel a little bit more modern um, Multiple times I, I noticed that there were fleets on the resistance side full of uh, women. And um, I think that's quite a, a positive thing to have on the Star Wars movies. Mostly because, I don't know, the past six movies, seven movies focus mostly, you know, 80%, 90% on men. And so having, you know... Some representation is nice to see that, you know, that we can kind of do that. I mean, these were obviously fleets full of women and obviously nothing wrong with that. But, you know, start to embellish a little bit more and get, you know, different shapes and sizes and diversities all over the place. And so that it just becomes even more um, diversified as well. And so a couple of the cons I wanted to discuss about this movie, noticing right off the top, um... I do recall people having a problem with the comedy within the movie. Now, the comedy within the movie does feel slightly more modern, you know. Um, it's slightly more sl slapstick in some areas and a little bit more gross-out humor in some parts uh, regarding that milking scene. Um, but yeah, so basically one of the things is... Um, there's some parts of the comedy in the script that really work that are more subtle for me. I'll, I'll touch on those, but also in the spoiler section, but, um, overall I felt like the writing in this for the comedy was a little bit, uh, you know, hammy. And I think that Ryan Johnson has written better, especially in his movie, uh, knives out and probably looper as well. This movie is um, a creature feature as well. I wouldn't say this is the best creature feature of the Star Wars universe's uh, movies, <clears throat> mostly because I think that uh, there's other 
the Force Awakens just kind of incorporated the creatures a little bit better. This felt in this movie felt a little bit too uh, forced in a way. I'll kind of touch a little bit more onto it because of the merchandising that they clearly are labeling in this movie. It just is so so obvious that this movie is being developed by a studio corporate head or a round table of studio corporate heads that are looking to make some money and where they can post you know as many creatures that we could probably buy or small little pieces of merchandising that we can possibly get some examples of the obvious merchandising in this movie was the uh porgs the uh the bracelet that I think Finn is wearing and Leia's wearing at some points. It's like a tracker. Um, the solo dice that the uh, resistance ring and Rose's medallion and that medallion we see at the beginning <clears throat> as well. I believe that might be Rose's sister at the beginning that we, we see. Um, but yeah, so the merchandising in this movie is almost blatantly obviously heavy-handed in a way that just takes me clearly out of the movie that i don't recall any other star wars movie doing i were other star wars movies like over here like buy me buy me i'm i i want them to not just show the item they're like here's the tracker and this is what it looks like it's like clearly they made that tracker to look like a small uh little medallion you would wear on your wrists it's like it doesn't look like a tracker at all it looks like a little toy um and so that's what makes it a little bit more obvious versus having merchandising like a lightsaber where they're actually using that um you know that that this movie has, you know, the resistance ring, the porgs, the bracelet, solo dice, um, the Rose's medallion. All of those play absolutely no part in the story, maybe give or take Rose's medallion. Um, but all of them were like, you know, look at this, look at this, look at this. This is the ring. This is the, the bracelet. This is the tracker. This is this. This is that. And it's like, buy me, buy me, buy me. And it's like... None of those ever played part, they never played a part into the story or plot, so it's like, why would anybody ever buy these things? They're, they're not cool, they're not part of the mythology. So just kind of showing them in the in major characters' hands does not inherently make them valuable. So uh, it's not like we saw Han Solo with, you know, these dice all the time. Not if I, I mean, we knew he was a gambler, but he's not he wasn't holding those constantly uh some other cons within this movie um the writing feels noticeably looser and more modern that kind of goes along with the uh what's it called the comedy within this laura dern's hair i don't know it might have been somewhat i don't know if that's i don't think it's a spoiler to say that laura dern's in this movie and she has purple hair and it looks like it came straight out of Hunger Games. I think Hunger Games was just finishing up when this movie was probably being produced. Um, so I was not crazy about that. The bad guys, once again, the bad side, of the bad side of the forest, whatever you want to call them, the First Order, Donald Gleason, 
and Snoke and Phasma and some other people that I don't want to ruin uh, until spo- spoiler section. I think all of these guys are clearly cackling bad guys that are not showing any signs of development or what they want to do with the universe or anything that happens post destroying the resistance. It's all just, you know, then we'll destroy the resistance. <laughs> it's it's very, you know, one note bad guy that I would expect from early 2000s writing. I thought that we had progressed in a time that we can explain why the first order is the first order and you know some cohesive plans and some cohesive planning nothing ever felt in this movie explained in a way it felt like oh we're getting ready oh we're getting ready oh we're getting ready the entire time and all these questions are leading up and all the juice is pumping and it's like we're getting ready to do something crazy we're getting ready to see something crazy and we do see some awesome visuals some pretty cool star ba- uh, some you know type uh, some fighter battles and space battles and I'm not going to lie, I really do like the the Holdo maneuver. I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that in spoiler section, but regardless if it breaks the universe, I still think it's one of the coolest visuals I've seen. Um, I, I just think that this movie is got you know a, a 9 on the visuals and is a 6 on the story. And um, you know, it's not any one person's fault or anything like that. I just definitely feel there's um, there's some stuff that needs to be fixed in this movie. So um, there's tons of questions and not enough answers asked in, uh, asked in this movie. And because this is not a movie that uh, is going to have a sequel immediately the next year, you need to answer some questions, in my opinion. Um, I, we all know how the Empire Strikes Back ended, but uh, it it still ended in a way that we still had more definitive answers than not. It was more like, how were we going to react to the information we found out at the end of uh, Empire versus how are we going to react before we find out? You know, it's like, it's not quite as interesting when you look at it that way. Um. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Okay, so let's talk about The Last Jedi and spoiler section real quick. It's probably not going to be real quick, but it will be uh, a swift one. I'll try to to go down the list of uh, notes we got. So uh, let me check one second. Okay, so... Sorry, I was looking to find a specific time range between The Force Awakens and Last Jedi. I'll have somebody in the comments or somebody, uh, or I'll throw it in the com- uh, descriptions of corrections and whatnot. I probably will have a lot of corrections that I fuck up in this podcast. But regardless, I found that it was... Wikipedia says that it is just shortly after the events of The Force Awakens that The Last Jedi is happening, which make mostly mostly makes sense. My only issue with the way this movie starts out is it makes it feel like we're on the losing side. The majority of the way that The Force Awakens ends makes it feel like 
the resistance is okay, that we have everything under control, that we have some sort of, you know, uh, army. By the end of The Last Jedi, I just gotta say, I mean, what are there, 15 people in the resistance? What is going on? I think it is extremely clumsy when explaining the size of the resistance and how they're obtaining new, uh, uh, helpers and people, recruits, you know, how how are they expanding the resistance? Because I feel like the majority of this movie is just dwindling them down in a way that's not explaining how they're going to expand. Um, and remember, we're not talking about the rise of Skywalker yet. They were going to have another section for that. Okay, so just a couple things. Uh Leia definitely looks noticeably older from The Force Awakens. Even though that it says a short amount of time has passed, I definitely feel like she looks like maybe even five years older. I'm not even sure. Um, I believe Ray is the first word Finn says when he wakes up. Um, kind of feels slightly obsessed with her, but it un it's understandable to, considering he was knocked out and you know slashed up from um, Kylo uh, in The Force Awakens. Uh, throwing the saber feels sort of excessive from Luke, but still somehow in character. I can understand how he he's, uh, doesn't want to have anything to do with the Force or anything to do with, uh, you know, being part of the Star Wars again. Um, Snoke's, Snoke's, Snoke notes to Kylo that he was beat, quote-unquote, beat by a girl that never held a lightsaber, implying history question mark a lot of this movie is talking about the identity of Ray and never answering any questions about it which is extremely frustrating um, and I mean it's sort of answering questions but saying nobody is not an answer for me personally I think that everyone is somebody and uh, in a way saying that when Kylo says there were nobody and Ray says, "Tell me my place in all this." Asking both male figures in the in the movie, which I did kind of have a uh, I, I had a quibble with. I was like, "I don't. Why is she only asking Kylo and Luke about this? You know, tell me my place in all of this, and not Leia." Um, I uh, I don't know. I both of them can sense darkness within this character. However. No one on the screen wants to give us a definitive answer, almost as if they want to just dangle this over our head. Um, creatures in this movie, I noted while well, I was taking these are my movie notes. Creatures were odd in this movie. The tail in the ocean that we see um, on the island that Luke is staying at, it's kind of just like goes in and out. It's like, you know, what the hell is that in the ocean? Um, the milking of that whatever alien elephant looking thing that uh, Luke milked that was fucking weird Porgs look mostly plausible on this island but um, still look slightly like merchandise fish look mostly normal in this as well Luke sort of won't talk to Rey about specifically why he won't train another round of Jedi. And I do think that, this what is this movie, two and a half hours? Um, yeah, I I don't like the the grumpy, tr reluctant trainer 
trope that much. I mean, we've kind of seen it before. I feel like it was kind of an 80s trope a little bit. Um, but I just feel like there's not enough time to dilly-dally around. And he really doesn't. He kind of does, you know, start to teach her the Force and, you know, tell her about, you know, what what the Force is, balance between everything and, and whatnot. So... It's, uh, he, he didn't bring up any midichlorian bullshit or anything like that. Um, the visual of Leia blowing up, uh, is a hard visual to watch. It's the, uh, Kylo is thinking, you know, he's, he's about to shoot the resistance, uh, fighter or whatever they're in fleet. And he knows that Leia is in there and he pulls his finger off of it. Which is something I forgot. He doesn't pull the trigger. It's the start. This the fighters beside him that blow up where they are, and unceremoniously we lose Admiral Akbar. I was like, "Damn it!" And uh, let me just talk a little bit about the Force uh, abilities. Leia using her Force abilities is best on first watch, and what I mean by that is. The majority of people knew going into this movie, The Last Jedi, that Leia, the uh, sorry, Carrie Fisher had passed away at that time. And everyone was on pins and needles about how are they going to figure out where, what are they going to do with Carrie Fisher? How are they going to wrap up her story, satis- you know, with a satisfying manner? And it turns out that the majority of the filming had, was already done um, for the movie, if not all of it. So this... I guess was not planned, uh, I guess was already planned, but it was a magical moment to see her come back into the the spaceship after uh, being blown in, into space. I mean, I was like, are they really going to do Carrie Fisher like that? Like, that's cold. Literally, it's cold out in space, and you just blew that Kylo's mother up and the actress and all of the memories all at the same time, and... I was like, that is a very heavy thing to do. And having her use her force abilities to come back the first time really was emotional for me. On the rewatch, it does feel a little bit like Deus Ex, uh, you know, force abilities. But I'm not going to nitpick about it. I'm not going to say, you know, this movie's ruined because of it. That's ridiculous. The thing is, we've never seen anyone do that. And we've only heard implications that Leia is force sensitive. So, you know, why not give her a special moment? So uh, I'm glad that they they could do something like that. Um, Great editing is shown when Luke is showing uh, Rey the the balance of the force. It's kind of showing all of the... You know, the balance in between things, things growing, the ocean flowing, uh, people mowing. I don't know. <laughs> just uh, you, just nature and stuff like that. But it also shows how she's tempted by the dark side. Um, I also have an opinion that the Porg might be the first attempt at a Baby Yoda. At this point, everybody have seen, has seen the Mandalorian and knows about what a Baby Yoda is. And uh, I'm not sure actually if we know what the species is at this point, but it definitely looks like the Porg was an attempt at having some sort of, uh, you know, adorable merchandise that we have some sort of connection to. Now, having it being a Yoda species is definitely what sells the Yoda character, uh, baby Yoda character. 
Um, Finn and Rose seem too relaxed entering the Cantobite Casino. Cool visuals, but pacing is pulled back once we talk about Rose's origin story. Rose is an interesting character to slide into The Last Jedi. And she, uh, the, the actress, is, is, is really good. I, I think her story is a little weak. It's mostly just told to us, talking about her sister, the resistance, them them growing up. But the actress, Kelly Marie Tran, you know, acts her fucking ass off, you know, giving us, uh, you know, some emotion, you know, high pressure emotion. She's talking about losing her family, losing the resistance, still somehow being a positive force within this movie because a lot of it is uh pretty down it's kind of uh, a dreary movie if you think about it as a whole you know um knowing what happens at the end having rose tico as a character is um it's important to have her i think the messaging within the character is a little bit strong and overly heavy-handed um no, obviously nothing to do with kelly marie trans performance it's just the character was given so much to do and so much um, uh, power. Or sorry, so much, so much she had to deliver from a plot standpoint and also deliver from a messaging standpoint. From what Ryan Johnson was wanting that character to deliver, it was a lot, and it's 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 hard to have that character on screen for probably, let's just say she's on screen for forty minutes total. And have her explain her plot, her, you know, interact with everyone else and the message all at the same time. It's a ton of work to do. It's a lot. And so that's the the Canto Bite stuff really is only about 20 minutes of the movie, but I hear the most complaints about it. And yeah, I think that it's it's not quite prequel territory because I think prequel territory involves it being boring and I can't say I was ever bored during this movie. I do. Th- I feel that the the Rose uh, storyline is where it you know sags a little bit, and having you know those um, those horse things that they end up releasing at that one point is kind of just cheesy. Um, but other than that, it's it, it's not making me actively mad. I don't understand why people watch this movie and are just actively upset about it. just. Just all oh, fuck everything, you know. It's it's not that bad, you know. It's it's twenty minutes of the movie. Just skip it. It's really not that that bad. Um, Luke gives a major backstory that is half explained about why Kylo went bad. So this is a story about you know Luke's training, you know, new, up newer classes of Jedi, and evidently Kylo had some you know, had a terrible future ahead of him and Luke saw it. And we see this shown, this flashback shown in two different role, two or three different segments. Uh, one from Luke's perspective, the second from Kylo's and then the third from Luke's when he's telling the truth. Um, this is kind of where I think the movie is, got way too much it's trying to do it's like wait wait luke you were uh you were teaching young kids to be jedis and you ended up having to try to take out your nephew and that's why that's why this is all going down 
my my number one question is why didn't we see this uh, for me personally i feel like this trilogy as a whole now i, I it, it, i'm not talking about rise of skywalker yet but i do feel like i guess well it's just as a whole at least in the first two movies if we want to connect with this kylo ren character and him him and Rey are both teetering back and forth from the light and the dark side in both movies. Both of them are trying to convince each other to go on the other side. The thing is, if we want to, we 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 barely see flashbacks of Rey. So, having you know uh, the mystery of Rey's parentage and how she grew grew up leaves us to think that you know this girl's just been kind of fiending for her own and she's kind of been on her own for a while and we're just kind of barely learning about her folks and her history kylo's he you know his mother is princess leia and his father is han solo both people that were in some of the biggest parts of the skywalker you know saga i mean obviously but to not see that character grow up or to see him ever have had a heart at one point like i feel like those two move these two movies are fundamentally failing when it comes to not showing you know any backstory on kylo ren and if you want me to give a shit about him if you want me to think that maybe i want him to be on the good side maybe show some you know some light in him and not just that Luke Skywalker fucked up and that he saw, you know, maybe he saw some, you know, bad stuff in Kylo's future. But, you know, did you look a little bit further than that? You know, did, you know, what, what is the deal? And, uh, this also goes along with Ray, quote unquote, needing someone to show her place. Um, yeah, we don't, I, I, I have a fundamental problem with, Ray only asking the men in the uh, series, you know, what what my place is in this. At least in the first two movies, um, might might pan out in the third. Continuing on with the notes, the fake codebreaker with the stuttering accent is too much. Benicio del Toro plays DJ, technically the second codebreaker. The original codebreaker was being played by. Justin Thoreau, an amazing actor on one of my favorite television shows called The Leftovers. So I have no idea what the thinking or retcon was in that. So I don't know what the direction was they were asking for Benicio Del Toro. He's got this terrible stuttering accent that honestly just annoyed the hell out of me and felt slightly offensive to people that probably do have... You know, st- you know, stuttering uh, uh, speech impediments, and it's shouldn't be used for like comedic effect. It just feels fucked up. I don't know. Like, what's what's the point in that? Um, and it the character didn't need it either. I mean, the character of Samuel L. Jackson and Kingsman did the same shit and had had this kind of like stutter or speech impediment where it just took away from the performance two hundred percent. Um. Also going along with the Canto Bite stuff, the stuttering action and whatnot. Uh, 
animal cruelty is shown from what Rose and I think her sister had had to raise some of those looking horse camel things. I, I, I couldn't remember what they're called. Um, those, uh, those animal things. So animal cruelty is kind of slightly, you know, slipped into this plot as well. In addition to child labor, um, I was like, what is going on? Like all this is happening on Canto Bite and none of this is, is relevant to what the story to the main story of what we're looking for. It just seemed like Ryan Johnson was like, we need to go to Canto Bight to go talk about some of the wealthiest and some of the worst of the worst. And because the worst of the worst definitely like to gamble and, you know, normal people don't like to gamble. And it's like, okay, I nothing about them really seemed like the worst of the worst, except they just kind of seem like fat cats. So the worst of the worst, I guess, came out when it shows, you know, that they're like gambling on these the animal cruelty and whatnot. That so they end up releasing those things later, and you know, it's a big happy ending. It's a big happy happy for everybody. I don't know. Uh, so when they're escaping the Canto Bite stuff on those, uh, Finn and Rose are escaping. Rose is having a fantastic time and that's what she's directed to do and she's like laughing and Finn is like stop enjoying this and that's kind of one of those lines along with you know what you know like a woo when they're like shooting at people in a war or if they're like I'm having a great time like uh when they're fighting or something like that it like in a starfighter it's like why are they so happy exploding and uh, running away from authorities and stuff like that? I understand that they want the audience to, you know, ha have a great time. I don't need the character saying, whoa, I'm having a great time. It's just too uh, hammy. Uh, when they're going through the streets of Cantabite, it feels like Harry Potter, like and not the good Harry Potters. It feels like the the these these kind of prequels they're doing with the, the dark uh scamanders and all that it feels like those harry potters um music when they're escaping is too damn hopeful and it takes away from the tension of thinking that they might not get away um the cheesy ass getaway with benicio del toro's character dj need a need a li li lift with the stuttering bullshit, I was like, "This motherfucker!" If I if I had a stuttering axe, if I was stuttering, or I am stuttering now, I'd just pop him in the mouth because that is ridiculous. Just showing up like that. <laughs> um, the recollection of Luke and Kylo is um, showed differently by both sides, different perspectives. Uh, so, what exactly happened? You know, did Luke show up? read Kylo's mind and then Kylo tried to attack him first or was it Luke showed up turned his lightsaber on and thought maybe half a second that was a bad idea Kylo turns around and then drops the building on him and then goes after all the kids I guess um either way it would have been 10 times more impactful if Luke wasn't just giving this expository answers just the entire time it just 
happen to we need to grow up with these characters and understand how they're falling apart i felt like that was something that we really did not get translated for us um the cave effect uh oh sorry the cave feels more like an effect and somewhat meaningless when ray falls into the the quote-unquote dark side for a little bit um when she's kind of doing some meta physical stuff on the island personally i'm like what is going on you know if we're gonna have all these special effects of her multiplying herself kind of inception style i was like at least do something and give us some answers she's asking who her parents are we're seeing shadows they come together as one and all we see is her face that's not telling us anything and it's just it's a five minute scene and i just feel like it needs to 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 be something instead of hanging this metaphorical figures over our head give us some freaking answers because that just drove me nuts um i remember it happening in the theater and thinking this is very unsatisfying and now i'm actually getting to express my opinion on it because i do think that is some bullshit that they are just they're just gonna have this long sequence just so that it doesn't explain anything and whether or not we get answers later, we're still going around this five-minute roundabout just to show this effect. It's not that impressive. Uh, and keep in mind, I do like this movie. I'm sorry. Sorry I'm going off a little bit. But that was one part that really got under my skin. Um, speaking of under the skin, I'm going to do that podcast here in a little bit. So uh, be sure to check back in for that podcast review. Um it's a great battle between him and Ray. This is between Luke and Ray when they're fighting with the sticks. Um, this is kind of around the time when Kylo and Luke, sorry, Kylo and Ray are touching fingers, kind of connecting, kind of seeing if they want to be on the light side, the dark side, the light side, the dark side. Um, and I do like that one shot of you know Luke, you know, saying stop, and it's like, and you know everything blows away. And that's when Ray kind of sort of bests him with uh, the the sticks, but then pulls up the lightsaber and about takes out Luke. But we know all, we know she's not going to do that. The thing is, I can't believe that she thinks that she's going to convince Kylo that he can come to the light side. I didn't I didn't see any of that in him. And quite honestly, the chemistry between them is just weird. It you know it we see him shirtless in this and. It's not like she's like, ooh, look at that. It's not it's not like she has any I don't know what really Ray wants except for her to find identity. And I'm not sure if that's really enough for me personally. Um like I don't know what she likes. I don't know what she likes to do. Um Let me see. So originally it looks looks like Luke lied about the re recollection of him and Kylo when he's discussing um Discussing that to Rey. Um, also, the sacred Jedi texts. Are we done talking about... Oh, sorry. The sacred Jedi text and temple or tree or whatever is burned by Luke. And he kind of looks like he does it just on impulse. Like, what was the deal in that? He, like, throws fire and whatever on it. And immediately he's like, oh, fuck, I forgot the books. And he tries to go in there and he's exploded out like, holy fuck. And Yoda is just busting a nut laughing, just fucking rolling. And so I remember the Yoda um, 
the Yoda cameo being very impactful the first time I saw it, kind of like the uh, the Leia thing. It didn't quite hit me as hard, and the things he had to say didn't seem to be quite as impactful for me personally. It was mostly very much like you don't you know throw away the. It, it felt like Ryan Johnson talking through Yoda, saying, you know, "Throw away all the history you know of the Skywalker series, the Sith, the the Jedi's, and all of that." It sounded very much what Kylo was saying, honestly. And that you know what you, you are the the Force kind of thing. You know what you are, whatever the Force you can be, whatever the Force needs to be, or whatever. You know, it, it's whatever you, the Force is, whatever it needs to be, kind of thing. Um, kind of laissez-faire. Um, the thing is, Kylo obviously still wants to go for the First Order, but Yoda is obviously for good. Not not saying that they're for the for, for the same thing. They just sound like they're talking about the same things. Um, Leia shoots Poe, and then Laura Dern says he's a troublemaker, jokingly. That was part of the writing I was not crazy about. It's like, why the hell would you shoot that guy? in a space station and then make a joke five minutes later about him being a troublemaker. It's just like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It just feels like sloppy hand, sloppy writing. It, uh, like y'all don't need to be doing that. Like in Laura Dern's character as a whole, I really didn't know if we were supposed to like that character or not. I felt like we're on the side of Poe, but she's supposed to be very important. So it's like, we're supposed to like respect her in a way, but i felt like she was very cocky and came out of out of nowhere where it it didn't feel like she earned that respect i don't know and that purple hair did not help so i i don't mean to i don't mean it like that if it was a you know if it was any other guy and they had purple hair that came out of nowhere that had no backstory and no credentials that is just yelling at our main our main protagonist um yeah i'd have a problem with them too it'd be hard to take them serious as well because no one else in this entire universe has colored hair, so it just is a little bit distracting from what I can recall. Um, or if they do have colored hair, I have not seen it um, recently. So um, let me talk a little bit about the rest of the notes so we can get out of here. Um, badass Kylo and Rey saber fight when Snoke is taken out. Yeah, so that is one of the coolest action fights that I've seen in a while when it comes to the action. Um, I thought that was when I, okay. So during, sorry, during this fight, I thought that if Kylo, if we would have seen, okay, so it was some Kylo backstory, we could have gotten to see maybe some before he turned bad a little bit with Luke, that type of thing. And then after, you know, growing up with his folks and then after once they, Kylo is bad, we can see him, you know, with the Knights of Ren and actually having some sort of relationship to him or with them. And so that when he turns on them, that we actually give a shit about who the hell he's fighting and who's Ray's fighting. I don't know how many times we see in movies that, you know, there's a bad guy, but we also know the, the, the side bad guys as the side antagonists as well. Normally there's the, the big boss and then there's the side, uh, you know, the side hustlers that are, you know, doing the side scrapping. But, Normally, we have a connection with these people. So imagine if we would have known the people that uh, they're fighting in that scene and not just cackling Snoke. So I, that was one thing I noticed during the, the 
that fight. It's definitely visually stunning, especially every time you're in Snoke's lair. The problem is that we don't give a shit about anyone that's getting killed. And same thing on the good side. There's several times we're seeing big-ass explosions of ships, and we don't care about anybody except the one ship. Um, let me see. So after the Kylo and Ren fight, uh, Snoke... I felt like Kylo should be good after this. And after that, it should be just Kylo's on the good side and helping fight against the First Order. I felt like that is that should have been the story going from there, but it's not. Um, and as all of that's going, we have the Holdo remo- uh, maneuver. Everyone calls it that, I believe. I don't know if that was actually said in the movie, but that's what everyone, I think, offline calls it. So... Laura Dern's character, uh, Holdo, ends up breaking the, quote-unquote, breaking the universes uh, of having a starship go through, or, sorry, just a, uh, a battleship or whatever. I don't know what kind of ship they were on. Tiny little ship. Go through a starship destroyer or whatever. And it still remains to, to me personally one of the best visuals in Star Wars from cinematography standpoint all of the I love the the look and the lighting on the star destroyers but in addition to that I really like the sound I think the sound drops and then comes back and it is just like a fucking ride and it's amazing to watch um, first time, obviously, in the theater blew me the hell away, but it's still, even watching it the second, third time, still is quite amazing to watch. And even if it breaks the one in a million chance or whatever they try to explain later, um, that that would happen, still one of the coolest things. It does, you know, raise questions. Why haven't more people tried to do that? You know, are they going to get, you know, blown up before they do it or something? You know, there's a million questions that that opens up, but still thought it was worth the visual alone. Um, Chrome Dome, delivered by Finn to Phasma, is a pretty terrible line. She's also a pretty one-note villain, unfortunately. Done by Gwendolyn Christie, who's from Game of Thrones. BB-8 controlling the at ATST was 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 dumb once again i it's one of those things that i was not too crazy about i think it's kind of a dumb concept hold on it was atst right sorry it's not an atst it he was controlling uh oh yeah he was he was controlling an atst um i get those confused with at ats but anyways, that felt a little bit too uh, comedy. That didn't exactly work. But there are, there are small touches of comedy that do work for me personally, like Donald Gle- Don Don Hall Gleason about to grab his gun right before Kylo gets up. It's like a small shot of it showing Kylo just laying down, and all we see is 
Donald Gleason going for his gun just very slowly, like he's about to have to take take finish off Kylo Ren, but then he takes his hand off real quickly as soon as Kylo's getting up. It's one of those subtle pieces of writing that I think would have benefited this movie if it was just slightly more subtle. There's a very ham-fisted message with this movie, basically, uh, you know, saving the things we love, not destroying the things we hate kind of thing. It's it's a, a good line from Rose, but it is very on the, it's very on the nose. Um, it's simple as that. And having some comedy dispersed throughout this movie that wasn't quite as hammy, saying Chrome Dome and that type of bullshit, um, might work just slightly a little bit better. Also, you know, like the Poe getting shot and saying, oh, I like that guy. It's just like, what? Um, let me see what else we have on here finishing up. The red on white the salt on the red planet i believe is still one of the best and most amazing visuals within all of star wars history again i still think the cinematography the colors and this fucking nail it out of the park there's no other star wars that gives you these type of visuals and uh, ryan johnson and uh, uh mr yeld yedlin or i think stephen yedlin i think his name was um just knock it straight out of the park um, and at this point, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I feel weird. Why is the, the first order being led by Kylo again after he just took out Snoke? I don't understand why anybody, uh, respects Kylo after this. I, I mean, besides Donald, Donald Gleason, you know, getting choked by him, forced choked by him. It's just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see why Kylo is being awarded, uh, after, taking out his leaders it doesn't really make sense to me exactly it's just you know small things like that both ray and finn are screaming woo i like this during a fucking war there is two scenes i think that uh it's not quite as much finn finn does do a lot of screaming in these movies but it's not quite that much but finn literally says you know as she's blasting the first order oh my gosh this is so much fun or i love this it's like no 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 one would ever say that you're in a fucking uh war this is not it's not supposed to be fun you know i understand it's a family movie but good god it's not you know you're not supposed to be having that much fun <laughs> i just doesn't doesn't feel right tonally doesn't feel right um it's so maybe the tone does have a little bit of a problem um Donald Gleason and Kylo Ren having a power struggle while they're fighting the the resistance on that red planet is pretty funny. You know, uh, Kylo's like, fire the cannons! And then Donald Gleason's like, fire the cannons! And, uh, you know, Kylo's like looking at him like, <laughs> like, motherfucker, I'm running this ship. <laughs> um, <clears throat> also, Finn kind of goes for the... Uh, kamikaze route he wants to you know take out the major cannon that's going to take out the uh resistance um place and i kind of feel like the way rose comes in and takes him out robs him of his big moment and that's where we get the message of you know saving the things we love not destroying things we hate um lying comes in and 
also the awkward kiss between Rose and Finn happens as the cannon is shooting in the background. Um, I don't, I don't know. I didn't think there was any chemistry between these two characters, the majority of the movie. I never felt like Finn really ever gave her the time of day that he was interested in her. And it just feels weird that she's just like kisses him and then falls, knocks out after delivering this short, uh, monologue. It's like, okay, that was not what I was expecting. You know, it, it's, it kind of subverts expectations because you think Finn is just going to go straight into the canon, which would have been amazing to watch. Like Finn, that major character, the stormtrooper going against the first order and destroying all of it. That would have been fucking baller. I really do think that would have been an awesome way for that character to go out or if not go out, just have him jump out or eject himself or do something, you know, to save the character. But for him to make the sacrifice against this first order makes sense. It should be Ray against Kylo and then Finn against the first order and he can take him out single-handedly with that cannon strike. I don't know. I felt like there was a way they could have wrote that into it. Um, this is, Luke shows up, talks to Leia. They have some interesting interaction. And um, Luke only interacts with CP3O in that um in that scene, and then walks out onto the battlefield, and then um is shot by like twenty adats all having some amazing cinematography standing there showing the scale of these things in proximity to Luke Skywalker and seeing that big red powder go up it almost looks like it definitely is the color of blood but it's just it looks like it just exploded there and then like a thousand different beams are just going all Luke Skywalker's like pew 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 and it's just the sand is going everywhere and it is beautiful to watch. Um, I still think I might have liked just a tad bit more of Kylo and Luke interaction between them. And, uh, there's so much chemistry between the, the characters. It's like, if I could have just had them on there just a little bit longer or before they turned, it definitely feels like there's so much of the story we didn't get to see between these two characters. And they feel like there's just history that... I'm oozing to find out, and we're never going to find out, mostly because of the way the story ends. Um, this is when the Resistance is leaving, and Ray is removing all the the rocks from the cave, which I don't recall that being one of the more striking images, remembering The Last Jedi, her removing the rocks was not something I was like, oh shit, I can't wait for her to do that. That was never anything I remember striking striking me personally. And it's all because the rocks are all CGI. I mean, it's not like I expect them to have, you know, massive boulders floating there. But they don't look any, any sense of the word real. They look just floatless CGI items that Ray has to act like she's moving. And it just does not feel... Um, it doesn't have the weight to it. It doesn't have the realism or the satisfaction that we're actually moving something that's real. It's not like Luke pulling his, uh, you know, uh, what is it, Tie Fighter Sky? What is it? What is his? 
what is this? Uh, sorry, I, I meant to say the X Wing is what I was trying to remember. All these damn fucking uh, names of starships and bullshit. But uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, the X Wing, we remember the weightiness or the weight that it felt that we felt when Luke was moving the X Wing, and we even get a glimpse of the X Wing in this. It's almost like an Easter egg, but we don't ever get to see it. Um, but yeah, the, the X-Wing had weight to it and these rocks don't. So get that out of here with that. I, I, I was not a big fan of that. Um, just does not give you the same satisfaction. It's, you're not moving anything you care about and it doesn't have weight. Um, Luke does not make a footprint the entire time he's on the salt planet. And we, at the end, obviously know why. Um, because he's not actually there. He's just force ghosting himself there. And uh, let me see what else we have. Beautiful last shot of Luke looking at the two sons. But my main question was, did he have to die? You know, I, I feel like as the most powerful Jedi at, at the... You know, or one of the most powerful Jedi at the time, I didn't feel like he needed to die. And I didn't feel like it was his time to die. I feel like there was still a story that we needed to explore. And I wonder if they just had executed all of this out before Leia had passed. And so they just didn't have time to do any rewrites of any sort. Um, Kylo also could see the dice from Luke to Leia. I didn't really understand. Like, the dice weren't actually there, in my opinion. Or or, or if they were, I don't know how they were. I had a lot of questions about that. The dice, but they disappear anyway. So it's like, hmm. Questions like, were they there? Were they not there? Doesn't matter. Why can Kylo see them if they're not there? It's like, what's the question? What's going on? Um, it feels definitely like a backdoor pilot with Broom Boy featuring uh, the ring merchandise, the resistance merchandise <laughs> at the very end. It definitely felt that felt like a television show just tacked on to the end of this movie in a way that. You know what? I know people aren't going to be crazy about it, but you know it's going to inspire some other people. And uh, I think the majority of families and kids that watch this will resonate with that broom boy. And one thing I noticed is when he uses the force on that broom, if you if you weren't watching carefully, you have to like go back and rewatch real close because I remember in the theater like, oh shit, that that kid has the the force, and he pulls the broom toward him. But uh, it happened so quickly, and on my screen, I'm I'm watching on like a 50 inch. I barely saw it, just like half an inch of it. But, or you know, it it happened so quickly. It, it, you almost have to re rewind it to to see it. So, um, it is subtle. Overall, the Last Jedi still has some of the most interesting visuals and cinematography. However, the story of Rey and Luke slash Kylo is very metaphorical and surreal and doesn't give the viewer a lot of solid ground to relate to. Her identity is dangled above us like a carrot, but no real answers are given. Johnson is focused on giving messages instead of plot answers. And when it comes to the Finn and Rose storyline and plot, they are characters they seem not to know what to do with. They mostly are served to give messages and not to give an interesting story nor plot. Going to Canto Bite is kind of a dip in the movie, but it's not where it suffers the most. The entire movie suffers from 
asking all of these questions we want to know and probably spending too much time with Ray and Luke on an island and not fighting the First Order or on, you know, Rose and Finn having fun at Canto Bite and riding off on these camel-looking things, camel horse things. Um, there's just a lot of time spent in places that don't feel necessary to the plot in ways that they could have utilized their time a little bit better. Now, the majority of the time, I really enjoy. There, there's not really a scene I dislike of uh, Ray and Luke together. I mostly think that they all of their scenes work. He, she, she gets very limited amounts of training, although she does train just a little bit. You know, one or I think one battle with Luke, and then one lesson with him about moving rocks and the balance of the force and that type of stuff. And then the you know there really isn't a third lesson if I am correct. Um, it just kind of feels like it's dropped abruptly, and we're not exactly sure what the lessons are. I don't know. Um, and that's again where we're seeing how Ray is a little bit OP. How is she so strong? How is she so powerful? Considering Kylo is telling her she's nobody and her parents are nothing, and that's basically what's reinforced to her the first. Uh, or the majority of this movie, and her identity is dangled all above us in The Force Awakens. So with two movies behind us and we have no answers regarding her identity, it's very hard to to grasp on to this character because it feels like we're spending so much time with her and we're not learning anything. So, yeah, that's essentially the breakdown of The Last Jedi. Let's talk about a little bit of it involving the spoilers of the rise of skywalker the last jedi and force awakens so we're going to talk about all those movies and spoilers right now so just real quickly knowing that ray this is spoilers for all three of those movies by the way so do what you need to do pause if you need to ray is palpatine's daughter and so knowing that most of this does fit a lot better with seeing how she's tempted by the dark side and how OP and how you know powerful she is. Um, so this movie does kind of fit into that a little bit. The way they kind of dangle the carrot over our heads is the stupid parent plot line and us not knowing anything about our parents and who they are. It's almost as if they're unimportant to this saga. And so that's what really feels like we're missing within this trilogy is... We don't necessarily keep telling us that we need to care about her, her parents and par care about her lineage. It's like, just show us. Stop dangling it above us. And uh, knowing how Kylo and Rey end up at the end and knowing how Finn and Poe... Finn, Poe, and Rey kind of have this weird trifecta uh, hug at the very end of the series that just feels awkward. Like, one of them needs to be taken out of this. And I mostly felt like it should have been Poe. Um, and Kylo and Rey, they, they don't, there's no reason for them to kiss at the very end of the saga. They, they, they don't have the kind of chemistry that, in my opinion, they don't have the kind of chemistry that leads to that. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Look at our podcast. Check out all the social medias below. Check out Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, YouTubes, all the good stuff, all the popular podcasts applications rate us five stars paypal.me slash podcast for all donations 
Um, all the links are below. We have all the Star Wars links, all the reviews, all in the descriptions. All corrections are in the descriptions. Thank you for listening to the Luckadel Podcast. We not could do, we could not do this without you. And may the force be with you. And take it easy. <laughs> truth.